Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. All right, the wrong question. This series has been fun to plan. Honestly, at the beginning of this, I was, I was a little worried because I was like, are there enough wrong questions in the word? for me to actually preach a whole series on. And let me tell you what, as I start looking, I have so many ideas for this series. I don't know if I'm gonna get them all in. I love looking at stories that I know so well throughout the word, but through the lens of the wrong question. Like I said last week, I actually absolutely believe there is such a thing as a dumb question. Any parents in the room with me on this one? There is absolutely such a thing as a dumb question, but I don't believe that that should necessarily stop you from asking God dumb questions. I ask God dumb questions all the time. Dumb questions are ones that like, I should already know the answer to, right? Like that, the kid that's asked you the same question 15 times. Okay, the 15th time, it's a dumb question now, right? You know the answer already. I do this to God all the time keep asking him the same questions that have been asked and answered already. But God has a much bigger capacity to deal with our dumb questions than I do as a parent, right? He's way, way more patient than I am. And I'm not just talking about dumb questions today though, talking about wrong questions. It's an important distinction because these questions They don't come from a lack of intelligence or like a laziness necessarily. They're coming from a lack of faith. And there's a difference. And so every story we're going to look at throughout this series is one of these. One that's asked out of a lack of faith. The story we're looking at today is one that we've looked at before. It's actually been over a year since we looked at this passage, but it comes from the book of Exodus. And this time, we're going to look at it through the lens of a wrong question. Now, you all know I love to preach on Moses, right? We have so much information on Moses. I mean, so many characters throughout the word, we only get a couple sentences or a chapter or two on the Moses. We have books of information about his life story. And so he's just so much fun to study and really, really dig into because he's also a very... um, I get him. (laughs) He's a flawed character, as they all are, of course, but we see his flaws and they're just so relatable. So we're gonna start today in Exodus 3, towards the beginning of Moses' story, not the beginning, but towards the beginning, before he is actually, we're gonna see his calling back into ministry, into service of God. And so let's start. There's a lot of scripture to read today. Are you guys ready? That that wasn't nearly as overwhelming. as. I, are you ready? Okay, a little better. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look. Now, Moses had just seen a burning bush in the wilderness. If you've seen the Prince of Egypt, right? You know this story a little bit. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Let me just read that verse again. It's going to be important in a minute. I am the God of your father. God identifies himself. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. He knew a little about this God. Okay, yes, he had grown up in Egypt, uh, in the king's household where there were many gods, but he knew God, Jehovah God. He knew enough to cover his face, to to not look at God. Verse seven, then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of the harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. I challenge any of you to say that sentence 10 times fast. Look, the cry of the people of Israel have reached me and I've seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go. 
for I am sending you to Pharaoh. Not a whole lot of leeway in that sentence. I am sending you. God is not asking Moses' opinion on this. He is being sent, right? You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Moses didn't have a problem with God sending someone. He has a problem with being sent, being the one to be sent. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? God answers, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. Ever notice how God's signs happen after the hard stuff? <laughs> I, this, is, this is the sign that I am the one who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, so after all the tough stuff, after appearing before Pharaoh, after the 10 plagues, after everybody in the country, literally everyone hating you, then you're gonna worship God at this very mountain. <laughs> that's the sign? Anybody else have a problem with that? Like, that's a long time away, God. I'm gonna need a few more signs before then. Whew. A lot of people don't, don't like this particular aspect of God. Like, how do I know that what God has said to me is actually going to happen? The problem is, you don't usually get the sign till later. You have to follow through with it. That's how you know. Does it happen? <laughs> then you know it was from God. Verse 13, but Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? You can almost feel his panic in these questions, right? Like, who am I to do this? And who do I tell them sent me? First of all, God already answered this, Right? Remember what he said, I am the God of your father. He's answered this question. This is one of those questions that would immediately annoy me as a mom. I literally just said that. Refer back to my previous sentence, right? Literally just answered that, guys. But not only then, but again as a parent. Moses said, if I go. Did you catch that? Is it still on the screen? If I go to the people of Israel. Again, any moms in here know what I'm talking about. I just said you're going. <laughs> if, if I, what do you mean if? If I go, I am sending you is what I said. There was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You're going because I'm mom and you're the kid, right? That's, in this case, I'm God and you're the kid. God said you're going. You're going, dude. <laughs> if I go. So this is mistake one, really. And throughout this particular sermon, we've got a few mistakes that Moses makes. And I believe they all really stem from one wrong question, one wrong thing going on in his heart. Okay, but the mistake number one is not recognizing the authority of God. If I go. God told you you're going. The God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he told you, I am sending you. You must go, I believe was his words. There's an authority there. As mom, if I tell my kids you're going, you're going, right? How much more authority does the God of Israel carry? Now, we do this all the time to God, though. We second guess him, tell him what to do as if we know best and he needs to follow our plans. And we think we got it all figured out and it's him who has to follow. But if we actually understand who he is, who God is, I, I really don't think if we actually understood it, if we were capable of fully understanding that, I don't think we would mind giving him total control. It's a, it's a wrong perception of how we see him. I, I don't know that I would necessarily call this the wrong question, right? Moses was already asking God who he is. At its most basic, asking God who he is is not necessarily a wrong pursuit. We should be asking God, who are you? Reveal yourself to me. I, I want to know you more. But since God already answered it, I would call it a dumb question. 
a question born from doubt and fear, not from a place of genuine curiosity. Moses wasn't saying, I want to get to know you, (laughs) right? It wasn't out of curiosity. He lacked a very basic fundamental foundation of faith here, which to be honest, should encourage some of us. Even without huge amounts of faith, God can still use us. God can still call us. Doubt does not preclude you from serving God. Anybody else a little encouraged by that? All right, let's keep reading. Moses, or Exodus 3, 14, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Nothing else is required. I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. This is one of the first places in the Bible that we get names for God, more names for him, because he just is. He is, he is the source of all things. He is, but God names himself here. It's a powerful moment. Now go and call together all the elders of Israel. Tell them, I said this already, didn't I? He told me, I have been watching closely and I see how the Egyptians are treating you. Verse 17, I promise to rescue you from your oppression in Egypt. I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Now live. I feel like applause is needed for that sentence. No? Okay. You missed it. The moment's gone now. The elders of Israel will accept your message. Then you and the elders must go to the king of Egypt and tell him, the God, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. So please let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces him. God is letting Moses in on the future a little bit. But he's showing him that he already knows what is coming and already has a plan in place for all of it. It's not gonna be easy, but God has a plan, right? So I will raise my hand and strike the Egyptians, performing all kinds of miracles among them. Then at last he will let you go. And I will cause the Egyptians to look favorably on you. They will give you gifts when you go, so you will not leave empty-handed. Every Israelite woman will ask for articles of silver and gold and fine clothing from her Egyptian neighbors and from the foreign women in their houses. You will dress your sons and daughters with these, stripping the Egyptians of their wealth. God is giving him the, the promise at the end of the hard stuff giving him a glimpse into the goodness, the abundance that he's going to lead his people into. But Moses protests again, (laughs) right? He just can't quite grasp the vision of that, the excitement of that, because it sounds really hard. (laughs) What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Here's what I'm calling the wrong question. Moses, here again, is treating God like a human, not like God. When I, as a human person, set out a plan, you can pretty much guess that it's not gonna work out exactly as I planned, right? The saying goes, no plan survives contact with the enemy, right? Things get messy, other people come into play, you have to kind of adjust plans as you go in life, according to people around you and factors outside of your control. Are there factors outside of God's control? It's a genuine question. Are there factors outside of God's control? Your gut wants to say no, right? God is in control. We say it all the time to encourage one one another, but is God in control of everything right now? Is God in control, total control of human nature, for example? I know this messes with us a little bit. We like to say that God is in control. We like to think that God is in control and and ultimately he is. Hear me on this. Don't, Don't get this twisted, but does God cause human beings to abuse each other? Is he behind that? 
kill each other, cause each other pain? Was God in control of Pharaoh's actions here? Did he cause them to happen? He knew they were going to happen, but there's a difference, right? He did not cause them to happen. This is it's an important distinction because this is a problem a lot of people have with God. They just can't wrap their minds around the fact that God is in control, but not of human nature, right? If God is in control, then he caused that person to abuse me as a kid. I can't follow a God like that, right? That's the line of thinking because sometimes we as Christians, we throw these phrases around and we act like it's all very simple. If this life is anything, it's not simple. We've complicated it over the millennia. God intended for it to be simple, simple communion with him. The earth would respond to us and be bountiful. And We messed it up. Sin messed it up. We complicated it. God could be in control of the actions of humanity, but he gave that control to us in the Garden of Eden. He gave us choice. For many reasons that I'm sure only he can understand, he gave us choice. He chose to relinquish some of that control to us for now. He also gave us dominion over this earth. It is ours to do with what we please, to be good stewards of it or not. Be good stewards of each other or not. One of those reasons that I, I do understand why Jesus, why God did this is that we can't love without choice. It, love does not exist without choice. You cannot force someone to love you. It doesn't work that way. God is love. He doesn't have love or give love. He is love. It would be impossible for him not to be. It's who he is and love needs choice can't force someone to love you. So we must have choice. Now, God is in ultimate control of everything. Yes. And this is, I think, what we mean as Christians when we say God is in control. Yes, he is in ultimate control, big picture control, right? At one day, he's going to send Jesus back and make a new heaven and a new earth, and ultimately, it will all work out for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. It will. He is in control Ultimately, someday he will fix it all. Praise God. But today is not that day. If we're still here doing this, today is not that day. And today he has still given us some control. He chooses to work through us. It's called incarnational ministry, actually. He chooses to work through people. He sent Jesus as a person to change the world with the gospel. So on one hand, I can see Moses' point here a little bit. Like Moses can't control the other people. He knows that the, the Israelites don't see him as one of them, having grown up in Pharaoh's household, not a slave, even though he was an Israelite. While his people are toiling in slavery, he was living the good life in the palace, right? You can see how there's some bitterness and distrust there, probably, between him and his people. You just want to show up after 40 years and pretend like you're, you're the leader here? You've heard from God, really? <laughs> you can almost feel the Israelites' apprehension. I get it. But again, God knows it's coming and he already has a plan. Is he going to force Pharaoh to go against him? No, but he knows it's going to happen. It is one of these things that is hard to wrap your mind around as a human. <laughs> Remember, though, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts higher than our thoughts. There are some things, like we talked about last week, you just have to give up, not, give up fully understanding and understand that God does so you don't have to. That's faith to some degree. Understand that God has it. He's in control. Ultimate big picture, he's gonna work it out for me. Even though he doesn't control every little detail, every choice other people make, he's still in control. Does that, I hesitate to say, does that make sense? Because it barely does, right? It's this concept we have to wrap our minds around as Christians and trust that God has it. He is in ultimate control. 
God already said he's going to do this. He gave him this glimpse into the future that they're not only going to leave Egypt victorious, they're going to leave rich because Egypt will give them the riches as they go. That's the end of the story. Well, for now, that's what Moses needed to know in that moment. He didn't need to know about everything that came later, the, the wandering in the wilderness, the golden calf stuff, the, the Ten Commandments. He didn't, he didn't need that yet. He needed this information to get through this season. And God gave it to him. God's gonna work all that stuff out. He will do what he said he's going to do. That should have been enough for Moses. It wasn't. Moses was reacting out of fear in this moment, talking to a burning bush, by the way. Just a reminder, his context right now is miraculous already. Talking to a burning bush in the middle of nowhere is not miraculous enough, but he's still fearful. He's scared. See, fear is sneaky. You think you're not in control of fear. Right? You, you think you know, uh, well, how can you fault him for being scared, Candace? Like, that's a big job to do, and it's very public and very dangerous, and how can, you, how can you actually fault him for being scared? Wouldn't anybody be scared? Fear is more selfish than we realize, though. It, it's, you give in to fear when you care more about protecting yourself, your reputation, your needs, your preferences, than you do about caring for others. You give in to fear when you don't trust that God has your back. This is a realization I had to come to as a young adult looking back on when I was a kid. I was super shy. I talk about this a lot. One of the biggest testimonies of my life is that God brought me out of that. I was so scared of people, socially anxious. And from a bit of a distance later on in life, I could see that that fear came from a very selfish place. I was protecting myself. I cared more about how I looked to other people than I did about whether those other people felt comfortable or not. Whether they knew that I liked them or not. I thought everybody was thinking about me all the time. Ew. They're not. Newsflash, they're thinking about themselves. Everybody's just walking around thinking about themselves. They're not thinking that much about you, not nearly as much as you think they are. And it's selfish, that fear, giving into it like that is selfish at its core. Fear can be so selfish. I, as a, a teenager, as I started to get a hold of this stuff, I remember being taught a lot of it in, in church and things like that, like how to win friends and influence people was a big book back then. And I remember grasping a hold of some of these concepts. And as I started to step out of my little shyness box, my cage of fear, I used to call it, and getting a little bit of momentum there, like getting to know people and I don't know, getting some victories under my belt. There were some girls around me that I remember for the first time in my life, I was on the in crowd and they were complaining that they were left out. And I remember being so mad at them because I had just broken out of this, right? I wasn't left out anymore, but I did it for myself. And I remember thinking, if you just care about other people a little bit, that's what it takes. That's what that book taught me is it's not all about me. Stop thinking about, are people including me? Or are they being nice to me? Go include somebody. Go be nice to somebody. Be the first one to say hi and introduce yourself. Stop waiting for the world to come to you. It's so selfish when you think about it like that. Now again, I'm talking about myself here. So I grew up in that, like, it was pride, it was control, it was selfishness. Stop worrying about you. Go say hi to somebody else. Fear does this. You think it's not a selfish thing, but it's sneaky. Causes you to only care about you. Moses in this moment couldn't have cared less that his people were toiling in slavery. He was free, so... He's out in the desert all by himself for 40 years. He's living good. He's fine. God was saying, care about your people. You were literally born for this. You were saved for this. That basket situation in the Nile River, you growing up in Pharaoh's household, this is, it was all about this moment, Moses. I've prepared you. I've called you. Get back there and help your people. You had to twist his arm practically to do it. 
But here's the good news. Even in Moses' fear and selfishness, God helps. Even in his fear and selfishness, God sent help. Does that not get anybody else excited? Because I have been so fearful and so selfish with God sometimes. My questions are so wrong, are all about me. And God still sends help. Exodus 4, verse 2. Then the Lord asked him, Here's his response to all the selfishness. Moses is spitting at him. God says, what's in your hand, Moses? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a snake. Moses jumps back, as you do when there's a snake, right? Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. God had already told him about signs coming, right? If God gave him this whole picture already, did Moses really need more? If God gives it to you, is it not the whole perfect, complete plan? Does God leave anything out? Does he forget stuff by mistake? If he gave it to him, it was all he needed to get the job done. But Moses thinks he needs more, and God responds. I want you to get this. Because even when asking the wrong question, you're still asking the right person. God gives it to us. I think what God is doing here is he's giving him these small victories. And if Moses can reach out and grab that snake, and it does what God says it's going to do, then a little trust is built. A little faith is built. God is going to lovingly lead Moses through this. He doesn't chastise him, reprimand him, rebuke him for asking wrong questions. He loves him through it. I don't know about you, but I get giddy when I think about that. Thank God. Because I ask God so many wrong questions that I'm sure I deserve to be yelled at for. 100% but he loves me through it. And he's going to show him here how to trust him little by little, little tiny snake sign by snake sign. He's gonna show him piece by piece. He does the same with us. Verse five, perform this sign the Lord told him, then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob really appeared to you. Then the Lord said to Moses, he goes further, Put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses puts his hand inside his cloak. He takes it out again. His hand was white as snow with a severe skin disease. Now put it back in your cloak, the Lord said. So Moses put his hand back in and when he took it out again, healthy as the rest of his body. The Lord said to Moses, if, you, if they do not believe you and are not convinced by the first miraculous sign, they will be convinced by the second. And if they don't believe you or listen to you, even after those two signs, then take some water from the Nile River and pour it out onto the dry ground. When you do, the water from the Nile will turn to blood on the ground. God gives him three different signs here and says, yeah, they might not believe you. Neither of us are in control of that right now. They might not believe you, but I've got a plan for that. They might not believe you again the second time, but I've got a plan for that. A third time, they might not believe you, but I have a plan for that. God, this is what, we, this is what we're ultimately saying when we say God is in control. Because he may not be in control of everyone's actions right now. He gave us choice, but he has a plan. Like, this is my will and it will come to pass is what he's saying to Moses, right? Because I said so, trust me. I can't, I'm not gonna control their doubt and their fear, but I can give you tools to help. See, here's, here's the bottom line with this. Not everyone will believe you. I think a lot of Christians today get caught up on this part when we were told to go and share the gospel, tell other people about Jesus, invite people to church in your workplace, but like, what if they don't believe me, (laughs) right? Like, I feel like God is calling me to share the gospel at work, but what if they don't believe me? What if no one responds? Or what if only the weird guy in the office responds? Then what? (laughs) Can I just be real? You're not responsible for how people react. You're not responsible for how people react. You're responsible for being obedient. 
Because the reality is, probably not many will believe you. But you're not doing it for their reaction. You're doing it to be obedient. You're doing it for the one that does, even if it's the weird guy in the office. Right? Don't get caught up on your own reputation, how people perceive you. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's about the others that can be set free through you. This is mistake number two for Moses, thinking it's all about you. It's not all about you. Our freedom is given to us by Jesus, yes, to save us. Jesus wants to do that. He's excited to do that. He's already done it 2,000 years ago on the cross. He wants to save you and free you, but it's not just for you. You're meant to share it for all the people that are coming after you. It's for breaking generational curses. All the generations that come after you, that's who your freedom is for. To share with your workplace, your community, your neighbors, your friends. It's not just about you. Exodus 4.10, but Moses still, okay, it doesn't say still. I wanna add the still. Moses pleaded with the Lord. Oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been and I'm not now, even though you have spoken to me. (laughs) Even though the God of Israel, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, even though you have spoken, I can't do it. (laughs) I never have been, I'm not now. I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. You can feel his panic just rising up in his chest. This is why he's so relatable to me, I think. (laughs) The fear... And he expresses it all to God as if it's news to God. (laughs) As if God doesn't know he's scared. If God doesn't know, he's probably spent the last 40 years in that desert thinking about his people back home. Scared to do anything about it. Wondering what God will do about it. We just, we have so many excuses when it comes down to it. We all, this is why asking God, like, what's your calling for my life? Do you have a job for me to do? It's one of the most brave prayers you can pray because God does have a job for you (laughs) and it's probably gonna be scary. We have so many excuses when it comes down to it. And God gives us a job and then we're like, oh, I meant like a job in the background. Like one not on stage or one not difficult. Like something I'm already good at would be nice. I'll just, you know, something I'm not going to be made fun of later. That would be excellent. (laughs) Jobs God has for us are usually scary. In fact, every single thing God has ever called me to has been scary. And maybe that's just me. I struggle with fear in general, but like, I tell you what, every single time he pushes me a little further, I get to this point where I'm like, okay, I can do this. I got my feet under me. I've done it a bunch of times. I've got some practice. I feel comfortable here. And God's like, oh yeah, I have this other thing. (sighs) Great. (laughs) Let's go do it. (laughs) Learn how to do more stuff, right? God challenges us. He pushes us through to the next season. And gosh, I'm glad he does. I can't tell you where I'd be today if he didn't challenge me. I have always given him the excuses though. God had just answered every single one of Moses' fears. He gave him miraculous signs. He was patient with him. He's been so kind. But the bottom line is when there is a will, there is a way. When we set our minds to it, as humans, we are powerful. When we set our minds to it, we can accomplish so much. But when God is also at our backs, unstoppable. Who can be against us if God is for us? It doesn't matter how many orders the governor has or how many people are sick or how high inflation is or who's sitting in office right now. The kingdom will advance because God wills it so. And he will use us if we can just stop making excuses, being so selfish with our fears. Did you hear How many times Moses references himself in that one excuse? I'm, is it still up there? I'm not very good with words. I never have been. I'm not now, even though you've spoken to me. I get tongue-tied. My words get tangled. It's me, me, me. It's all about him. He's trying to protect himself. 
when we begin to think of fear as selfishness, it puts things in a completely different light. I don't know about for you, but it always has for me. When, when I can examine what I'm afraid of right now and then sort of uncover it and get to the root of it, it's selfishness. I'm scared with the high gas prices and, and the, the groceries, the prices going up. I'm, but that's because I'm looking at me, myself, my household. God, how will you feed me? God wants to usually flip my thinking and say, how can you help other people in your community? What can you give to your neighbors to help them through this right now? Because they're scared too, but they might not have me. You do. You're a tither. Stand on his promises. God will take care of you, right? Go help somebody else. Everybody's scared. God always flips my perspective. And then I'm like, okay, so that was a selfish question. That was a wrong it's not wrong to ask God for provision. It's wrong to panic when he's already promised you provision. He wants to use you to help others. There's almost always a selfish root to fear. When you dig at it a little bit with God, he will reveal it to you and flip your perspective. Moses was more afraid of looking like a bad public speaker here than he cared about the Israelite slavery problem. <laughs> they were slaves in Egypt for like 400 years. He had the ability to help. God was giving him the ability to help and he's scared about his words. Come on. Willing to let his entire family, his family's family, their families beyond that, an entire nation of people be enslaved to then do something about it and possibly look foolish. <sighs> God had already addressed convincing them. It wasn't about this plan working anymore. Moses just didn't want to open his mouth. And boy, I can relate. <laughs> Early on in church leadership, I had a very real conversation with God. Like, God, can I actually handle this? Because I, I watched my dad, like I'm a pastor's kid, guys. I watched my dad walk through a lot of like, I'm well aware that with more fame or notoriety or more times on a stage, whatever you want to call it, more of it comes with more criticism. It may look like all praise from the outside, but for every person that agrees with you, there'll be, I have one in my notes, but it feels like more like 10 that disagree with you. For every person that agrees, there's 10 that don't and are loud about it. For every compliment, there'll be a critique. And I just said, God, honestly, I don't know if I can handle, like, are you sure you picked the right person? Who am I to? <laughs> but the solution here isn't to run and hide from your calling, right? It's not to avoid the notoriety for your gifts when it comes. It's to prepare yourself to handle it in a healthy way. <sighs> this is why we can't live our lives for the approval of people. We live our lives for the approval of God because if you live by the crowd, you will die by the crowd. Crowds are fickle. People are fickle. Like they'll encourage and encourage and, and love you and be passionate and excited and posting good things on Facebook. They're all in. And the very next week, stop all of that and never stop, never start again and never give you an explanation as to why. Literally avoid the question sometimes when you ask <laughs> Right? And I've struggled with that, knowing that it's selfish. I know it's selfish. I know it's not really about me, that they hated you first, Jesus, and, and they hate me because of you. Like, I, I get it, but I just couldn't separate me from the decisions and the me from the approval and the, the me from the compliments. Couldn't separate my, my self-worth from it all, my self-worth from other people's opinions. And I said, God, our... Are we really sure you called the right person? Because even though you have spoken, I don't feel ready. Even though you have spoken, I'm still scared. And even though you've spoken, I'm still me. <laughs> You're God, but I'm me. Like, God, I trust you, but I don't trust myself. It sounds like an honorable sentiment. But when I said this to God, God whispered back to me, then do you really trust me? Because I called you. Do you really trust me? Because if I say you can do this, 
I called you to do this, who are you to say you can't? Doesn't God know you better than you know yourself? If God has spoken, who are you to say that you can't do it? This is a sermon about self-doubt. Moses doubting himself. And it sounds... It sounds like the right thing to say, but it's the wrong question. God, are you sure you picked the right person? Because I don't know if I can do it. I trust you, but I don't trust myself. Do you really then? Because here's God's answer to Moses, verse 11. Then the Lord asked Moses, and you all will remember this if you've been with me a while, who makes a person's mouth, Moses? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Who makes mouths, Moses? Did you forget that I kind of made those? Right? Like, people can choose what to say with those mouths, but how many have actually chosen to be born mute or not? To, to be born the, the seeing or not? You don't think I have a little bit of, like, I created you, dude. I know exactly what gifts you have and what gifts you do not have. I put you in that palace. I put you in that basket in the river. I caused your mother to be able to take care of you. I worked all of this out for you. Did you forget who I am? Who makes mouths, Moses? You're talking to me as if you know more about them than I do. As if you know more about you than I do. Remember who you're talking to. If God is calling you to something, he's going to equip you for it. And no amount of tongue-tiedness is going to get in your way. He's called you to it. Honestly, this is something I feel like I still struggle with from time to time. I can be this like deep thinker. Sometimes I drown in it. Seeing a million different options, right? And I see gray everywhere. It's not black and white. It feels all gray to me. And I can see anything from anyone's perspective, really. I just, these waters run deep, if you know what I'm saying. Sometimes I feel like I'm all over the place with my thoughts and it stumbles and bumbles out of me. And then I ask God for clarity. <laughs> I've learned this over the years. My mind feels like Spaghetti. Anybody here, the women's minds are like spaghetti. What are men's minds like? Waffles. I feel like spaghetti up here. It's all mixing in with each other. But when I ask the Holy Spirit for clarity, guess what he gives me? Clarity. Focus. Power. Love. And a sound mind. So when I'm feeling all over the place, I ask him for clarity, for wisdom, which is not just knowledge, but also what to do with that knowledge. God, help me make sense of it all. I have been given answers by the Holy Spirit that I honestly did not know the answer to until I opened my mouth and heard myself say it. I am not joking about that. It's happened often. Somebody will come to me with a Bible question or a, I don't know, baptism question or something. And I'm like, and I just start speaking and the answer comes out and I know it's the perfect answer when it comes out of my mouth, but I did not think of it before that second. The Holy Spirit spoke through me. We ask God to do it all the time, but when it actually happens, it's miraculous. Or I have put two and two together in the middle of a sermon. And if you knew how meticulously I keep notes, you would understand how crazy that is. <laughs> I've, made, I've gotten revelations mid-sermon while I'm in front of people and I'm like, oh, that was amazing. But I did not think of it before. It's not in my notes, <laughs> right? The spirit of Jesus living within me is how that happens. It did not come from my brain. It came from my spirit, the spirit of Jesus living within me. When God calls you to something, he's gonna equip you for it. You may not feel like you're equipped beforehand. Sometimes it's in the movement. Verse 12 says, now go. I like to imagine God yelling at him by this point. Don't know that he did, but now go. I will be with you as you speak and I will instruct you in what to say. Stop giving me excuses. He didn't say that, but he did push him a little bit. Now go, I will be with you. There's this sermon from Johannes Amritzer, a popular evangelist around here. Uh, I've heard of him 
speak a few times. It's called the miracle is in the movement. The miracle tends to be in the movement. The amount of times Jesus says, pick up your mat and walk, get up and walk. And the miracle doesn't happen until they're doing it. Right? They're suddenly they're picking up their mat and they're walking. The miracle is in that movement. We often feel like I should feel empowered before I get up on that stage. God's called me to get up on that stage, but I'm shaking, I'm nervous. I'm just from experience, the empowerment, the wisdom, it doesn't come down there. It doesn't come before I walk up those stairs. It comes here. I'm feeling it as I'm speaking it because the miracle is that there's something to be said about going. When God speaks, get up and go. Don't second guess, don't question, don't doubt, just go. People will ask sometimes, how do, how do I get better at hearing the voice of God? Like, how do I know that it's not just me, it's God? The answer is not one that anyone loves. The answer is you do it and then you see if it works out, <laughs> right? And you get used to, over time, you get used to hearing that's me or that's God. But it's in the practicing of that. If you get up and you do it and it works, that was God and you know it better for next time. The faster you get at responding to God, the easier it is to hear him. When you constantly second guess it, oh, that wasn't God, that was, that was me. I'm not gonna go tell that person Jesus loves them in the grocery store parking lot. Can't do it. What if they think I'm dumb? Well, why would Holy Spirit continue to tell you to do stuff if you're not going to do it when he says it? His voice gets quieter, harder to hear, more muffled. But when you respond, you do it, it gets louder. You, you understand it more. Does that make sense? The miracle is in the movement over and over throughout the New Testament, we see this. Jesus says, get up and walk. And before anything miraculous happens, before the feeling of getting up happens, he's suddenly getting up, <laughs> right? It's, it, that is the miracle. You have to get up. You have to experience that this is faith. This is faith. You're not going to experience it sitting and fretting and worrying and questioning and doubting and fearing, <laughs> Jesus may walk on by and find someone else who is willing to get up. Mistake number four can often just be refusing to move. Letting fear paralyze you. Faith and fear do not mix. Don't get me wrong. I often hold them in the same hand. I feel like I'm holding them in the same hand. But I override the fear with faith. I, it's a choice. You can choose to give in to the faith and let it paralyze you or give in to the, what did I just say? Give in to the fear and let it paralyze you or override it with faith and move. God was saying, move, Moses. Go, Moses. And Moses still has doubts. I know this is getting tedious by this point, but Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else now the Lord becomes angry. Verse 14, the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, he said, but listen to what he does in his anger. <laughs> what about your brother, Aaron, the Levite? I know he speaks well. And look, he's on his way to meet you now. He will be delighted to see you. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be with both of you as you speak and I will instruct you both in what to do. Aaron will be your spokesman to the people. He will be your mouthpiece and you will stand in the place of God for him telling him what to say and take your shepherd's staff with you and use it to perform the miraculous signs I have showed you. Still Moses begs for someone else and in God's anger again, he sends help. I love that the word says that he's angry by this point. You know, anger is not a sin in and of itself because God wouldn't be angry if it were. It's the what we do with the anger. And in God's anger, he sends help. Now, listen to this though. Help was a concession here. It wasn't the original plan. Aaron didn't always steal the Israelites right. Remember? You remember the golden calf situation? That was Aaron. Help was a concession here. 
The golden calf situation wouldn't have happened if not for this fear. God always gives help when we ask, but that may not be his first, most perfect plan. What I'm, am I saying that we shouldn't express our fears to God? Absolutely not. I'm saying you should, in fact, because even in asking God the wrong question, you're still asking the right person. Even in asking God the wrong question, you're still asking the right person. God does not expect you to be perfect or he wouldn't have sent Jesus. Right? He wants you to have faith, to trust him, but he leads us through that. He sends people to support the mission when you need it, to support you, to speak for you, to defend decisions when you make them, to, to encourage you and cheer you on and love you even when there are no good decisions. Not infallible, perfect people, but people nonetheless. We were created to be in community community with God, community with each other. Sometimes God, God's answers to your fears are partnerships with people. I know this is a word for somebody today because some of us, we want our thing, our mission, our calling from God to be only us because we're scared to trust other people. Sometimes God's answers to your fears are partnerships with people. Are they perfect people? No. Will they disappoint you? Probably, yeah. That's what we do. Love them anyway. Trust them anyway. Trust God anyway. Look, we have pulled so many truths out of this conversation. This conversation with God. One conversation with God can change everything. Even when we're asking the wrong question. Talk to him. I say it all the time, but have the honest conversation with God. We, oftentimes, we want to hide our fear. I can't go to God when I'm scared like this. I can't give all this to him. I can't admit that I'm scared or show him my doubt. Don't I have too many doubts to talk to him? No, not if you follow them through and do the right things with those doubts. Doubt is not in and of itself uh, the opposite of faith. It's not. It's not the most dangerous thing to faith either. If you follow it through, if you ask the right person your questions, don't take those questions to other people. Take them straight to the source. This is why Jesus came to give us direct access to God the Father, God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. He is a speaking God. He wants to speak to you. He wants to answer every single doubt and fear that you have. In fact, when I what I have found is that when I go to God with doubts, honest ones, God, I'm, I'm scared. God, I can't do this. God, are you actually real? <laughs> like, what, what, if, what if I go through with all this and I'm wrong? You know, all the human doubts and fears that we go to him with, when I do that, when I go to him with those, I walk out so much more faithful, so much more passionate, so much more obedient than when I went in because God answers those. He answers when we ask. He is the God of miracles. He wants to see big, amazing things happen in your life and he is better at planning those out than you are. He knows all your doubts and fears and he's not scared of them. He wants to hear them. He can change your perspective on so many things when we just go to him. And this is the difference between having a closed mind with God and an open one. And this is what worship is about. That's why it's such an important discipline in our lives. When we go to God and open our minds up to how big he is, how amazing he is, when we get our minds, our little closed minds off of who, he, who we think he is, the box that we put him in, the, the stresses and the fears that we are in. Like when we just see our own little life, worship opens up our mind to how big he is, how much more he controls. He is the provider, the deliverer, the comforter, the healer. This is why I say these things almost every week before and after worship, right? Trying to remind us who he is. He is the source of every good thing. 
he knows the names of every single star in the sky and the amount of hair on each one of your heads at any given moment. He is, his ways are so much higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He thinks so many big things. He understands the way the world works. He, he controls all of it, the, the, the ecosystems, and he created all of those things to work perfectly in order. It feels like chaos to us sometimes, but he created order in it. He's a good God. He is real and he loves you so much. Open up your mind to the possibility that that's true. He is big and he loves you. The self-doubt that you feel with God isn't warranted and it isn't helpful. He knows exactly who he created. He knows exactly how much selfishness you've allowed to corrupt in your life. He knows exactly how much obedience you've participated in lately. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he's got a plan for that. Can you trust him with that? Can you trust him that he knows you better than you know yourself? Father, we thank you for these examples of wrong questions throughout the word. Thank you for using flawed, imperfect people to do amazing big things for you. God, let us be courageous people willing to ask the questions, even when they're wrong, willing to come before you and express our doubts and our fears so that you can help us correct them willing to, to stick our necks out there and do big things for you. God, help us understand who you are and who we are in your presence. Help us understand that we are more than conquerors. We are redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Jesus came to cover us in his blood his mercy and forgiveness. We can now hold our heads high when we're in, our, in your presence. We don't have to walk around in shame and disgrace. You sent your son so we can be in right relationship with you. Understanding that you love us more than anything. And you want the best for us. That you can think up things for our lives that are so far beyond what we could ask for or imagine or think of. God, help us understand who you are. Help us come before you each day and be in your presence and understand you better. Reveal truths about who you are to us. Help us dig in deep to your word, to your presence. Let us be people of deep prayer, of focus, passion, that we'd be able to go out into this world and share the freedom, the hope, the joy, the peace that we experience with you. Share it with the world around us. Let us not be Sunday-only Christians, but live it out every single day, desperate for who you are. Heads bowed and eyes still closed today. Maybe today is the first time you're acknowledging really what Jesus has done for you. You've been riddled with shame and fear and doubt for a long time, not understanding who God is and what he's done. Today, you understand the truth that Jesus came for you. He loves you. He knows exactly what you've done and he still died for you. He wants to give you that freedom and hope. I want to give you the opportunity to just respond to that today. The Bible says we, we have to accept that truth, believe it, and confess it. Meaning you have to do something that shows that you believe it. Speak it with your mouth. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for forgiving me. Accept it into my life and I choose to live my life your way that's you today and you want to pray that prayer maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time and you're sitting in this room would you just shoot your hand up in the air raise your hand right up right where you're sitting if you're watching online and you'd like to make that decision you can text the number on the screen or type I'm in in the comments wherever you're watching this anyone here today 
I'm in, is what we call it around here. I'm into following Jesus. I'm into receiving the love of my Heavenly Father. Okay. For the rest of us, self-doubt is what's holding you back. I just want to encourage you today to ask the wrong question. Go to the right person with the wrong question. Ask God. All those things you're doubting and fearing, bring your self-doubt before him. Everything you feel like you're inadequate at. And God can use those too. Things even that you're bad at, God can use. Whatever you put in the hand of God, he multiplies, he makes better. I just want to encourage you today to have that conversation. Maybe it's, it's on the way home today in the car. Maybe you take a few minutes at the altar here before you leave this building today. As you're tucking yourself in tonight, you have that honest conversation with God. God, this has been holding me back lately and I don't want to let it anymore. I'm giving it to you. Maybe it's the wrong question. Correct me if I'm wrong. I give God that option. He will speak to you. He will correct you and he will guide you if you let him. Father, today we just thank you and we praise you for your word. Thank you for using it to teach us, to guide us, to correct us, to show us the right questions, even when we're asking the wrong ones. God, use us. Make Freedom Valley a people that are are brave enough to ask that question. How can I be used today, God? Show me who needs Jesus today, God. Let me be a beacon of hope, joy, and peace in this world. Give me more passion for you. Let me be more obedient today so I can go out and show the world what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Let us be a people like that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I am in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.